Hi, my name's Taylor Chapman, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Let's actually jump right on in there, and let's see what God has in store for you with today's message. About 15 years ago, uh, we got a phone call one day, and a lady said to me, Pastor, is, your, is Lynette home? And I said, yes, she is. And they said, or she said, uh, can you see her right now? And I said, yeah, no, but she's here in the house. She said, no, I need for you to go where you can see her physically. I said, well, she's back in her office. She said, but can you go back so you can see her physically? I said, yes. I went back there and I said, I'm looking physically at Lynette sitting in her office chair. And she said, oh, praise God. She said, my husband and I thought that Jesus came and we were left behind. And my husband said, quick, call Lynette Chapman, because if Lynette's still here, Jesus hasn't come. <laughs> and I said, well, what about me? And she said, not so much about you. We've heard too many of your stories. But we knew if Lynette was here, Jesus had not come. Well, folks, today, Lynette is here, which means Jesus has not come. All right? I'm here. Jesus has not come. And so the good news is that, that Jesus has not come today, but he could come any time. And so if he does, Travis is going to be in charge of the services next Sunday for running the sound. And, and Terrence is going to be leading the music over here. So we've got it covered in case Jesus comes. But since he's not come today, we're going to be looking at Israel and the end times events. I think all of us know that everywhere we look, there's a lot of conversation going on about end times today. It's all over the internet because something is cooking, and many people are expecting something to happen in our lifetime. I'm one of those people. I believe I'm going to see the rapture and the coming of the Lord. I believe that. Back in colonial America, they used to have the big clock in the center of town, and it would chime on the hour so people would know what time it was. And one day it was chiming at 12 o'clock, and it went, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, but it went 13 and 14 times. A little boy yelled out, Mama, Mama, it's later than it's ever been before. Well, folks, it's that way now. It's later than it's ever been before. Now, the fact is that 71% of all Protestants believe in the rapture of the church. We're going to talk about that today, about the coming of Jesus. 71% believe in that, but the fact is no one knows when it's going to be. They say, well, you've always had you know, famines and wars and rumors of wars. We've always had that. But the big difference is this, is that today it's all in a convergence. It's all happening at the same time. And the things are at a very unique point in the history of the world. There was a seminary student back when I was going to seminary. He was pastoring a church. He'd been teaching on the second coming. And on Sunday night, he was preaching and he was preparing to leave on a vacation. So he wanted to get done before he left. And he said, folks, he said, he is coming and I'm leaving. About halfway through the sermon, he made this statement again. He is coming and I'm leaving. Toward the end of the sermon, he said it again. He's coming, and I'm leaving. And he walked out the side door, got in his car, and they left on a two-week vacation, and the church was sitting there in the service. I said, what happened? He said, well, the people, after five minutes, said, well, I guess he's coming, and he's left. <laughs> All right. Folks, one thing I know, that Jesus is coming, and I'm leaving. Many of you are going to be leaving. Uh, I know of many people that have said, I want to get married before Jesus comes back. Remember those days? God, I want to get married before you come back. And we've had dealt with a number of people, and we'll say, why did you get married? We wanted to get married before Jesus came back. 
And you know, if before you get married, you say that, Lord, I want to get married before you come back. And, and then you get married and you say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, it's amazing how the, how the prayer changes as you do that. Grab your program, if you would, please. And in 2 Timothy, look what Paul says in chapter, ver- chapter 4, verse 8. And now the prize awaits me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Listen, God wants you and I to be looking forward to the appearing of Christ. Are you listening to me? He wants us to be looking forward to his coming. And today, I want to stir that up within you, that you begin to look forward to his coming. It's amazing how many new believers, they begin to they get saved and they begin to read the book of Revelation. Why? We have a desire to know. But folks, God wants you to know. He wants you to be aware of his coming. That's why it's called the revelation. In fact, the word the revelation, write it down, means the unveiling. God wants you to know what is happening and what's going on. He wants us to know. Read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Let's read it out loud together. But I do not want you to be ignorant. Start again so we'll be at the same place. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And then he gives five verses talking about the rapture, about the coming of the Lord. Folks, that's today is our encouragement. And Taylor began a series last week called Israel and the End Times. He did a great job setting that up. And we're going to pick up on that same topic he's asked me to speak on today and talk about the Abrahamic covenant and then go on beyond that. He said, number one, the Abrahamic covenant involves the land which is the promised land. There was a man named Abram. Abram was living in a place called Ur the Chaldeans. In fact, turn your Bible to, to, to Genesis. Go to the first chapter, the first book in the Bible. Look in Genesis chapter 12, and there's a man named Abram. He was living in Ur the Chaldeans, and he worshipped the moon. Abram was the first moony, all right? And there as worshipping the moon, God spoke to him in Genesis chapter 12, and look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Folks, that becomes the key, is the land. God says, I've got a land for you, Abram. Okay, verse 2. And I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But folks, it all began with the land. Today, what you're seeing going on in the Middle East is all about the land because the land is the place of blessing that God has for them. It's all about the land. Now, Israel, or or Abram, went down to, to Canaan, but then you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons. They end up over in the land of Egypt. While they're in Egypt, they are still the children of God. Amen? They're the family of God. But here's the key. It's not their land. Egypt isn't their land, and the place of blessing was back in Canaan. That was their land. God said, I want them to go back to the land I have for them. Folks, you know, I've got to understand something, that the land is a big deal, all righty? And so the land is a big deal, and so as they they come out of Egypt... And Moses leads him back to Canaan. Look at Deuteronomy verse tw- chapter 28, verse 8. 
He says, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That is a gold mine nugget there, the bold underlined red ink. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Listen, one of the most important things you can learn as a Christian is what is the land God has for my life. You cannot just move where you want and stay in the land God has for you. Folks, I have no doubt God brought us to Norman. This is our land. For a time, we lived in Stillwater for 23 years. That was our land. I was in Dallas. We were teaching at Christ for the Nation, and God spoke and said, you're to go to Oklahoma. And I went there on divine assignment because that was our land. You've got to make sure that you're in the land God has for you. Many times I was asked if I would take other churches, and I would say no. In fact, we had a guy that came, and he was a pastor of Melody Land. That's how I did it, and over 10,000 people. He said, oh, you come back to California. I'm going to put you in the ministry. And I said, no. Why not? Because it wasn't my land. You see, you've got to have a sense that God has put us here. This is our land. The, the war in the Middle East is all about the land. And Taylor talked about the land, which is the promised land. He talked, secondly, about the lineage, which is about the Jews. It's about the Jewish people. God gave a promise to Abram, you're going to have a son. Sarah, his wife, brought Hagar her handmaiden, and, and Abraham to create a child because Sarai couldn't have children. And they produced Ishmael. As Tater talked about last week, Ishmael is the, is, is the, is the father of basically the Muslim nation. It all started with, with, with Sarai bringing Sarah, Hagar to Abraham. And you have a child born named Ishmael. But I'm going to give you some more gold here. Folks, listen. Ishmael was not what God did because Ishmael was a product of Abraham, but God brought along Isaac because Isaac was a product of what God did. Are you listening to me? See, Abraham produced an Ishmael. God produced an Isaac. Look at the green ink on your notes. God sees only what he does. Look at Genesis 22, right above the green ink. In verse 2, then God said, take now your only, or your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Notice what God called Isaac. He, God called Isaac. He said, take your son, your only son. Folks, in the eyes of God, Ishmael didn't exist because Ishmael was what Abraham produced. Isaac was what God produced. Are you hearing me? Folks, the danger is this. We can spend our entire life and produce only Ishmael's. We can spend our lives and not produce Isaacs, that which is by faith. We can spend our lives and produce only Ishmael's and stand before God with nothing in our hands because we produced only Ishmael's. So we see the second point that we brought out last week is the lineage, which is about the Jews. And then the third on the next page, this should be number three, the computer jumped the number. I didn't see it till last night. But third is the Lordship, which is Jesus Christ. It's all about the Lordship. Jesus, or God, came to earth, and from the moment he got there, the religious leaders tried to stop him from his purpose. The Bible says he came to his own. His own did not receive him. They were trying to stop him. 
after three years of ministry, in Matthew chapter 23, look at verse 37. Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. God left. God says, I came there, and because you would not recognize me, he said, I left. I leave your house desolate. Okay? That's a very big thing because in a few chapters later, Jesus is arrested Take it before Pilate, and it says this in verse 16 of Matthew 27. They had a notorious prisoner named Jesus Barabbas. Go look on the internet and say, what is Barabbas' first name? And it says, Jesus Barabbas. They have Jesus Barabbas there, and when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, that's called the Christ? In other words, you have Jesus Barabbas here, And you have Jesus the Christ here. You have a terrorist, a murderer, an insurrectionist right here in Barabbas. And you have the Prince of Peace over here. Look at the next verse, the next passage. And the governor answered uh, answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then should I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said to him, let him be crucified. What did they do? They chose a terrorist over the Prince of Peace. And folks, Israel for 2,000 years has lived under continual terrorism because when confronted with God here or a terrorist, they chose terrorism. And no nation has ever been persecuted like Israel has because they chose a terrorist over God. That's a pretty harsh indictment about their decisions. Look what they went on to say. Verse 25, and the people answered and said, his blood be upon us and on our children. They cursed themselves and their children. Because if you go 40 day or 40 years from this day, but the same, with the Passover, go 40 years, it puts you 70 AD. And what happened? Rome came against Israel. Rome came against them, and when they got there, they did it at the Passover. There was over 1.3 million people had gathered in Jerusalem. Normally, the population was about 200,000. So you're talking a huge, huge uh, coming together. And while they were there, Rome shut them up, and they killed 1 million, in fact, they killed 1.1 million people they slaughtered. They whacked the women's heads off. They split them open, cut their babies out of them, and cut them. They took away over 90,000 to be slaves who never saw their parents again, never saw their children. They were gone. And it all started because they chose a terrorist over the Prince of Peace. So you can bet what is happening there is all about the, about demonic in every sense. It's all about the Abrahamic covenant, the, who is going to be Lord in that area. Well, that's a review with some highlights. So, but I believe that we're in the generation that's going to see the second coming of Jesus. And since the days of Jesus, people have looked forward to the rapture. I believe we are that generation that's going to see it all happen. Others couldn't do that, but we are that generation. The New Testament church would use a greeting called Maranatha. He is coming. 
All right? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a greeting. Why? He is coming. You were looking forward. See, see worry makes you look all around. Um, when you, sorrow makes you look back. Worry makes you look around, but hope makes you look up. You go into the catacombs of Rome where they had all the Christians they were persecuting and you find references to the rapture all throughout that, those caves. Why? Because they're looking for that blessed hope. They're looking for the coming. Sorrow looks back, worry looks around, but hope looks up. Now you need to know a very important thing. There are two comings of Jesus. Okay, there are two comings. People don't know this, and they get them all mixed up. Number one, there is the rapture of the church. This takes place before the tribulation. It's called a pre-tribulation rapture. It takes place before the church or before the, the tribulation begins. There's the rapture of the church. Number two, there is the second coming. Folks, the rapture and the second coming are two different things. If you don't realize that, listen very carefully, you're going to read the, new te- the Gospels wrong because the, many people are reading rapture, theology into the Gospels, and you can't do it. They didn't know about the church age. They didn't know about the rapture. When they said, Lord, when are you talking about your coming? They're talking about the second coming, not the rapture, and we read rapture theology into it and wonder why we get all confused. They didn't even know about the rapture. We're going to be unpacking that in a few minutes, but you must understand there are two comings. The rapture, he comes back for the church, The second coming, he comes back with the church. In the rapture, he appears, and we rise to meet him. In the second coming, he's coming back, and he's going to do some serious hiney whooping when he gets here. And we're going to be there to witness all that taking place because the devil's going to have seven years of hell on the earth to establish a demonic kingdom, and Jesus is coming back to annihilate all the devil's done. He's going to establish another kingdom, which we will be talking about. And one of the great books in the Bible is the book of Daniel. I, I love Daniel because Daniel was carried off in the Babylonian captivity to Babylon. And he was to spend his whole life there, but he served and searched after God his whole life long there. And, and so I use the phrase, I want to have the Daniel mindset. We're living in a crazy world today. You know, it's, we used to say, this is nuts. Folks, it's far beyond nuts. <laughs> it's just crazy. It doesn't make sense. What should you and I do? Have the Daniel mindset. Daniel lived in Babylon, and in this of all the craziness there, he still had a heart, and he followed after God wholeheartedly. We need to have the Daniel mindset. And Daniel was praying, saying, Lord, when are you going to come? Because folks, all through the Old Testament, they were looking for the coming of the Messiah. Daniel is saying, God, when are you going to send the Messiah? When are you coming back to deliver us from all this stuff? And if you look in your notes, in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, an angel Gabriel shows up. Now, Gabriel is an archangel. Archangels are those who do the biddings of God. And so Gabriel shows up, and at the, he says to Daniel, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you. For you're greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Stop there for a moment. God wants you to understand. Okay, the fact I'm teaching you today, God wants you. He's in, he's going, hey, doofus, listen to what he's saying. I'm not sure God used the word doofus like that, but you get the idea. Okay, listen to what he's saying. Look at the next verse in the red ink. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. He says 70 weeks or literally 70 sevens or 490 years. So basically the angel Gabriel says this, there are 490 years are decreed 
for your people before the coming of the Messiah. Okay? He goes on to say, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Okay, so now he goes, all right, there's 490 years. It's not going to happen tomorrow, obviously, 490 years. But the question is, when does it start? When's the clock going to start? If you look on the next page, it continues on. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, then there shall be seven weeks or 49 years technically. Then for 62 weeks or, or, or 434 years, 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time after the 62 weeks, an anointed one will be cut off and shall have nothing. Stop there just a minute. Look at the picture down below. He said this, when, when you go back, it's going to be seven years or four, seven weeks or 49 years in, in starting to rebuild Jerusalem. Then you're going to live there for 483, 434 years, which is 62 weeks. You're going to live there. So you've got 69 weeks is going to happen. But then it's going to be cut off. Here's what we need to understand. If they went back, and, and, and the key was this, when the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem, that starts the clock. And folks, they gave the command, and the year was 456 B.C., and the clock started ticking, ticking away, ticking away. 483 years, the clock is ticking away, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. They don't recognize him, but something happens on the day of Pentecost. The clock stopped. God stopped the clock, and he stuck in a thing called the church age or the dispensation of grace or the times of the Gentiles, whichever word you want to use. He stuck this slice in to the whole picture. We are in that slice, but the Jewish clock has stopped. And we're going to unpack that more in just a minute. So what happens is this. We are living in the church age. You say, well, how long is it going to last? We don't know. It could go, now many people think it's 2,000 years, which would end this 2030 or 2030 would be 2,000 years. So a lot of things hinted around that. And so, but, it, but, it, but, it, but it, it, it's going to stop at one time. There's an old preacher years ago was going through the countryside and he was talking to this farmer and he said, he said, the farmer, are you ready for the judgment day? And he said, well, when's it going to be? He said, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. He said, listen, when you find out, you let me know because my wife is going to want to go both days. <laughs> well, the fact is there's a judgment coming. And when the, and when the rapture takes place, well, you, you'll be eating a cookie, it's gone. You're, you're gone. Pow, you're out of there. And when that happens, the Jewish clock starts back up again because there are seven years left called the tribulation. The seven years begin to take place, and while we're gone in heaven, and we're having just a time of more than you can ever imagine, all hell is breaking loose here on the earth because they're in the time known as a tribulation. So we are in this time they didn't know about in the Old Testament. They didn't know about in the Gospels. We are the mystery, what the Bible calls. We're the mystery. Therefore, whenever Jesus, they ask Jesus about when are you coming, they're not talking about the rapture. Because they didn't know about it. They're talking about the second coming, not the rapture. They didn't even know about the rapture. We were the mystery. Grab your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 3. 
as Jesus is coming on the scene, there is a forerunner called John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 1. John the Baptist is getting the people ready for the coming of the Messiah. And in chapter 3, verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, verse 2, and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice what he says. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, listen to me very carefully. The message of the Bible is all about a kingdom. Taylor was referring to this several weeks ago. It's all about a kingdom. The problem is we don't understand about the kingdom. You see, it's like if you were to drop me off in Iran. I have no military background. You parachute me into Iran. i got big problems. I mean, I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb. I don't know about the customs, the laws, the language, the currency. I know nothing. It is a different kingdom. When you get born again, you change kingdoms. And the way that you know how to live in that kingdom is based off the Bible. And we have multitudes of people that got born again, but they never learned how to live in the kingdom. And that was the message. If you look in chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus comes back from being in the wilderness. His first message, his first sermon from that time in verse 17, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's talking about the kingdom. In chapter 5, he begins to teach a thing called the Beatitudes. Look at verse 3, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? The kingdom of heaven. Then he's going to teach the disciples about prayer. In, Genesis, or in Matthew chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 9 and 10, he says, Pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come your will be done. It's all about a kingdom. He talks about how do you, how do you live the kingdom? Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. Seek the kingdom. He goes to tell the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, look at verse, uh, verse 7. Matthew 10, he's telling them, I want you to go out and preach. In verse 7, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're talking about the kingdom. Now, they have no idea there's a church age. In fact, technically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Old Testament books. They're before the day of Pentecost. It all happened before that time. And so they have no idea about the church age. They don't know about you now. They're looking for the coming of the Messiah, the second coming. You look at how Acts starts. Look at chapter 1 in your notes. Look at verse 2, verse 3. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he, Jesus, showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And what did he do? He spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus has died on the cross. He's raised from the dead. And he is talking about the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's the message of the Bible. We are about the kingdom. We've been put into a different kingdom. You go all through the book of Acts and come to the last chapter of Acts, the last verse, and what you're going to see in, in verse, 20, uh, verse 31 of Acts 28, boldly and without hindrance, he, Paul, preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. In other words, all through the Gospels and the, and the, the, the epistles, you had their talking about the kingdom. 
Jesus preached the kingdom. The disciples preached the kingdom. Paul preached the kingdom. The New Testament church taught the kingdom. It's all about a kingdom because he came to set up a kingdom. In fact, the New Testament talks about the kingdom 157 times. It's all about the kingdom. The word kingdom means the royal reign of God, where God's rule extends over all that we do. If you look on the next page, Colossians chapter 1, look what the Bible says in verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of of the son he loves. Folks, you and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. God is all about the kingdom. In fact, you've heard about talking about the millennial. It's called the millennial kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. Okay, now with that understanding, let's look about the rapture. Look at the graphic design on the back page. You'll see a part that says past age. That's Genesis with Noah and you know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Elijah, Daniel, all the guys, they're in the past age, okay? At a certain point, there was an event took place called Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell, and folks, on the day of Pentecost, a new dispensation began called the church age. You and I are part of that. You see, God had intended for Israel to be the witness to the, to the world. Israel took it upon him pride, we are the people of God, and they shut people out. God's concern was for the Gentiles. In fact, remember Glenn Campbell? He wrote a song called Gentile on My Mind. All right. And so you and I have always been on his mind. God wanted to reach out to the Gentiles. And so God sends Jesus and, and, and they don't recognize him as they don't recognize him as the Messiah. He dies on the cross on the day of Pentecost. Now God sends the Holy Spirit and for this time of you and I live in and we are in this dispensation known as the church age and this will continue until one event takes place, which is the what? The rapture. And when the rapture takes place, what happens? At that point, it goes back, <coughs> goes back to the seven years left from the prophet book of Daniel, okay? Today in Israel, you know, they have, they've talked about, you've been hearing about the ashes of the red heifer. Why is that a big deal? Because it's going back to Jewish time. Why is the temple a big deal? It's going back to Jewish time. Why are the sacrifices a big deal? They're going back to Jewish time because seven more years are there before the coming of the Messiah, and that's called the tribulation. And so that will be climaxed by the coming of Jesus when we're coming back with him. In other words, we see how the whole thing lays out right here. And so we are in this time when you realize this, that any moment Jesus could come back, it makes you straighten up. You know what I'm talking about? Folks, I need to be reminded to straighten up. Uh, I've said for years, I go listen to videos on hell sometimes. It makes me straighten up. <laughs> when I'm reminded how bad hell is, I don't want to go. And it straightens me up. When you live looking up, with hope, it changes the way that you live. You see, most people live like Jesus is not coming back. But if I said, folks, I can guarantee you that Jesus will be here next Sunday, most of you would probably stop all the sinning you could for the next seven days. True? It straightens you up. So that little boy was, teach was teaching, and she teaching, she said, how many of you kids want to go to heaven? And, and they all raised their hands. She said, how many want to go to heaven? No, she said, how many want to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand except one little boy. And she said to him, don't you want to go to heaven? 
He said, yeah, I thought you were getting up a load to go right now. <laughs> you see, we want to go, but if we believe it could happen right now, suddenly we begin to change. Everything becomes different. And so all the nations are going to be gathered against Israel, and, and God is going to come back, and Jesus is coming back, and they're going to be destroying all the kingdoms of the devil. Now, what makes this message so important? Because for those of us who are saved, folks, if Jesus comes back, I'm going. Okay, if you talk to me, Jesus hadn't come back yet. Lynette's going. Our family's going. Many of you are going. But for those who are not born again, they will be left behind. Now, can they be saved during that time? Yes, they can, but they'll be martyred afterwards. There's going to be huge numbers of salvations take place in the tribulation, but they're all, most are going to be killed during that time because the devil has got a full-on war against everything of the kingdom of God. And when you change kingdoms, you become diametrically opposed to say the devil. See, if you've not met the devil today, one of you is probably going the wrong way. <laughs> See why? Because you're, you're going the opposite way of what the devil's going. You've joined a different kingdom. And so we are that generation that should see the coming of the Lord. We don't know what day, what hour, but all the signs are converging. I had a guy call me two weeks ago and said, do you know that they just, I read this article. He said there are a hundred, I'm quoting from the article, 167 new species of meat-eating birds they discovered in the Middle East. Now, why would 167 new species of meat-eating birds suddenly begin to show up? Well, the Bible in Revelation talks about the birds of the sky are going to begin to clean up. That looks pretty suspicious to me. I go, that's interesting. The Bible talks about the Euphrates River is going to dry up for the armies can march across. The Euphrates River has now dried up for the first time in over 700 years. It's dried up. They can, you now, they can now walk across. That's an interesting sign. This past week, Russia, China, and Iran had a special meeting fulfilling biblical prophecy just this past week. It is happening so fast right before our eyes. You know what that means? It means doofus, straighten up. Stop it. Clean up your life because we might not be here next Sunday. And that's a very real possibility because we are that close. And I want to live ready so I won't be living disappointed. Like the Apostle Paul said, don't be ignorant. Live looking up. The thing that I try to this is not a braggadocious statement. I really try to live ready for the coming of the Lord. The question I have for you today is are you living ready for the coming of the Lord? of the Lord because it's going to happen so fast you won't you won't have time you're going to bang and it's and it's over that, that quick it's happened and, and when it does for those left behind it's going to be seven years of the greatest hell on earth you could ever imagine ending in probably you're being martyred because you, you you've received Christ back years ago um I was one day walking into a hospital to go see one of the people in our church. They had a baby. As I walked in, this lady said to me, Pastor, I knew you'd come. I didn't never seen her in my life. I don't know who she was. And so I said, I'm here for you. <laughs> you know, I don't know who she was. She said, they told me he'll be dead within just a few hours. And I said, okay. And she took me on, a, and I didn't ask her name, but we got in the, the elevator, went up there and went to ICU. We walked in this man's room. He's got all the things that are attached in the ICU. And she said, uh, they said he'll be dead within a few hours. And she walked out of the room. Just me and this guy, and that's all I knew. I mean, I knew his name, and so I called it. I said, John, okay, John. And so she's, she's gone, and I'm, and I'm sitting there, and I said, John? I took his hand. He's laying there, and he's in a coma. I said, John, can you hear me? If you can hear me, squeeze once for yes, two for no. 
That was a damn funny one. Squeeze once for yes. <laughs> he couldn't hear it. It didn't matter if I did say no. No, I didn't hear you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's a good point, isn't it? Nope. Would you repeat that? I didn't hear you. <laughs> in fact, I got a stutter, come to think of it, you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I said, John, I said, I've been told that before the day's out, you're going to be seeing God. And he squeezed my hand once. So, okay, he's hearing me. And I said, John, are you ready to face God today? And he squeezed it twice. No, he was not ready. And I said, John, I said, I'm a pastor. I teach people how to get ready to meet God. Do you want me to tell you how to do that? And he squeezed once. Yes, I do. I said, now, you don't have time for a sermon. You don't have time for an offering. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's going to happen right there. And it's going to be, you, gotta, you can't waste words. Because I want to get him for four or five minutes. He's, he's barely hanging on to consciousness there. And I said, John, it's as simple as ABC. It's as simple as ABC. Letter A, John, you must admit. In fact, jot that down. That's the first thing. You must admit. You must admit that you have sinned, that you've said things wrong, done things wrong, and thought things that were wrong that you have sinned and you need to repent of your sin because you sinned against John, uh, sinned against God. I said, John, do you admit that? And he squeezed my hand. My hand yeah, yes, I realize that. I said, John, the next thing is you've got to believe. You have to let her be. You've got to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. You've got to believe that Jesus was God in the flesh who came to earth to die on the cross, pay the price for your sins, purchase a place for you in heaven, which he has for you as a gift. You've got to believe that. Do you believe that, John? And he squeezed again, yes. I said, the third thing, John, is it's not enough to admit that you've sinned. It's not enough to believe it because I believe in all kinds of things. You know, I'm not tr- you know I believe in Abraham Lincoln, but I'm not trusting in him for eternal life. Um, you've got to let her see you must commit your life to Christ. I said, John, you've got to give your life and say, God, from this moment forward, if I live a day, a minute, an hour, 10 years, whenever, my life is in your hands from this point on. I thought, you know, this is going to be a real short-term commitment here. You're not going to be here long. And I said, do you want to commit your life to Christ from this moment forward? You are his. And he squeezed once. Yes, I do. And I said, okay, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I would pray, Lord Jesus, I, I, I surrender my life to you. He was squeezed once to indicate he was praying in his mind. He couldn't talk. He was praying in his mind. I led him through the prayer of Christ. I walked, he died within an hour at that time. He, most people don't get that kind of chance. That's, you know, he better be wearing asbestos underwear. He was so close. He needed him back. Yeah, that's close. All right. But the fact is when the rapture takes place, you're just gone. Bang, it's over. You don't get the chance to get ready. For those who are ready, it's the greatest experience possible. But to those who are not ready, it's the worst experience imaginable. Look at the book of John, chapter 1, in your notes. Let's read this passage out loud together. Jesus, let's read it together. Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Folks, that's the greatest promise in the world. Why? Because what's happening right now is a battle between Ishmael's descendants and Isaac's descendants. It's a, it's a spiritual battle. And for those who put their trust in Christ, then their life can be eternally saved. I have lived now for many years knowing that if my life was to end, I'm ready to meet God. Therefore, I can live looking forward to the rapture. I can live straightening up because I believe in the reality of it. 
Today the question is, are you ready for that day? With all this happening, I don't know of anybody, even those I think we don't have a clue, go, something's going on today. They all, everybody, you know, everybody's talking about that. Maybe we're all thinking that because something is going on and we're getting closer. The closer you get, the more intense the labor pains become. And right now we're seeing the convergence between the descendants of, of, of Ishmael, the descendants of Isaac. It's all a spiritual battle. It's going to climax for the church age with the rapture. Pow, we're gone. And when that happens, it's going to be the biggest, tr- biggest celebration we've ever seen. Um, years ago, and I'll chase a small bunny here, but there's a lady had died. We had, we had a lady in our church had died. She'd been pronounced dead by four different people, about the police, the ambulance, uh, the record driver, and, 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 and they had another person on the scene. She was dead, and she went to heaven. And so I've talked with people who have gone there, and there are over, over 100 things I've studied and talked with people. And, and this lady died, and she said well, she, she went to heaven. And she said, I saw this my aunt, and my aunt said, it's so exciting. We're getting things ready for the supper. It's, we're, oh, everybody's excited. She said, Heaven's a, all a buzz about it. She said, that's, that's, that's amazing. Years later, another lady was killed in an accident. And she went there, and she, and she knew the story. And she said, what about the preparations for the marriage supper? And he says, they're all done. It's ready. Folks, it's imminent. Nothing's left to be done. All it takes is a shout. I believe Gabriel got his horns and he's licking his lips. getting ready to blow. Getting ready, it's coming. I, I really believe that. And I want to live that way because one day I'll be right. And so there's coming a rapture. But there's coming a, a second coming. And if we're going to learn about the rapture, we go into the epistles. If we're going to learn about the second coming, we go throughout the entire Bible from beginning to end. But we are that mystery serviced by the epistles that God gave. Thank you for tuning in today. The most important decision you can make is making Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says that because we are born into sin, there needs to be a blood sacrifice to redeem us from the curse that that sin brought us into when we were all born. God wanted to give you the opportunity to live in eternity with him. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to be that blood sacrifice for you and I. You can choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life and choose heaven, or you can choose to make this sinful world we live in your standard of living and make hell the only option. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we want to give you that opportunity right now. All you have to do is repeat these words after me. Say this, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I confess my sins and I repent of those sins. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a fully devoted disciple. If you just prayed that prayer, then you are saved. Congratulations on making that life-changing decision. Now is the next step. You need to start reading your Bible and get into a good Bible-believing church. You will find other people who've made the same decision that you just did, and you will help each other grow to become all that God has called you to be. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to know that I am praying for you, that I am for you, but I need to know about it. If you would go to pathwaychurchok.com, that is pathwaychurchok, just the letters O and K.com, send us a message and let us know you prayed that prayer, and we'll send you some free resources to help you start your journey with Christ that you just started today. 
Thank you again for tuning in. Congratulations once again. We'll see you next time right here.